All right, thank you, Brother Lee. And if you don't have any place to be the next few Sundays, <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome to be here until we get something worked out. So uh, I know that they, uh, you sound so much better than I do. They've had to endure that a couple of Sundays. So, all right, take your Bibles, turn to the book of First Peter. I know we have a baby dedication and I don't want to be here all day long, but I did want to open up the Word with you as we are in an expositional study of the book of 1 Peter and uh, just look at some things from a couple of verses in regard to our faith. I think most of our church family is the Barber's family this morning. It's good to have them filling in the hole there, the gap. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, considering true faith this morning, what is genuine saving faith? What is authentic saving faith? What do we mean when we talk about faith? We read in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." And then our two verses this morning that we will look at. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning. You are the author of this book, the author of this word. Lord, we look to your Holy Spirit, our indwelling author, to teach us this morning. We ask that you would meet with us in a powerful way as we delve into your word. That we may know that when we leave here this morning that we have met with you and been dealt with by you. The one that brought us into this faith that we now stand in, the one who brought us into this grace that we now stand in. Lord, we desire to see your son this morning, the one through whom saving faith is to be had. And Father, teach us this morning in such a way that our lives will be different when we leave this place. Lord, conform us more and more into the image of your son and our savior. And Lord, we ask this for the sake of his name, that he would be made known. That he would be the one loved. And that he would be the one praised. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to get far in your reading of God's word to realize that faith is a very important matter. And a very important subject. What is faith? We talk about faith in religious circles, right? We talk about faith in Baptist life. We talk about faith in this church. But what is the, that genuine faith that believers possess? What is it? It's a very important question that we need to ask ourselves. We know that this is important because of a couple of things. First of all, when you read the Bible, you discover that salvation is by faith. Salvation has been experienced. Salvation is possessed by those who have had faith in the true God, those who have had faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To put it negatively, there is no salvation where there is not faith. And where faith is, salvation has come. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 9, we read this, And He made no distinctions between us and them, meaning Jews and Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. And in terms of God's purpose for the Apostle Paul, when he saved him and called him into the ministry, he sent Paul to do what? 
Well, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, it says to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, meaning Jesus Christ. How are we set apart unto God? How are we made right in the eyes of God? It's by faith in Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. How is one declared right by God? How is one made right in God's eyes? How is one right with God? Well, it's not by works. It's not by anything that we can do ourselves. We are declared righteous by God on the basis of faith alone in His Son. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we just got finished studying the book of Galatians some time ago, and we read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So again, how is one made right with God? How is one made right in the sight of God? How is one declared right by God? It's by faith in Christ alone, His Son. Trusting the truth that God has revealed about His Son in Scripture. Trusting in Christ for what He has done and for who He is. When we do that at that moment, we know salvation has come. That we've been delivered from sin and we've been reconciled to God. That we have been stationed in God's grace and made a child of God. Not just for one day or for a couple of weeks, but made a child of God forever. So if you have faith, you have salvation. If you do not have faith, then you are lost in your sins. You do not have salvation. You're still in your sins. And that makes this a very important subject when you discover that our salvation is on the basis of faith. Another reason we know this is an important subject is because the Bible also reveals to us that there is more than one kind of faith. Not everyone who says they have faith really does. Not everyone who thinks they have faith really does. Not everyone we think has faith really does. We know that there's a kind of faith that doesn't possess salvation. There's a kind of faith that cannot save. There's a kind of faith that is a kind of a, a pseudo faith. It's, a, it's a, a, a natural kind of believing. But because it's not supernatural, it's not saving faith. And I do want to stress this. The faith that brings salvation comes to men as a result of the regenerating work of God's Holy Spirit. Man does not possess the faith that brings salvation in and of himself. Since the fall of Adam, man is not a believer by nature. He cannot be. We're born into this world unbelievers by nature. In fact, you can give the natural man, you can give the lost man, the man apart from Christ, the gospel, all you want... And all he will do is reject it. Even if he acknowledges it intellectually, he does not have the capacity to apprehend it spiritually. If man is left to himself, even if he, if he can grasp it intellectually, he doesn't have the nature within him necessary to embrace it, to understand it. The Bible tells us that Spiritual things are discerned by the Spirit. The natural man, the carnal man, cannot discern spiritual things. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. That's why faith, we are told in Ephesians chapter 2, is a gift from God. Now, God doesn't believe for us, but He does a work in our souls that enables us to believe, and we demonstrate that belief in Christ. We demonstrate that faith in Christ by the way we live and how we respond. It's true to say, I believed in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. It's true to say that. It's also true to say that I believed in Jesus because God granted me the faith to believe 
And God granted me the repentance. He granted me the ability to turn from my sins and turn to Christ. James chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him or can that kind of faith save him? You see, James is telling us there that there's a kind of faith that doesn't bring salvation. It's a workless faith. And you say, well, pastor, you just told me that salvation was apart from works. It's apart from the works of the law. It's apart from anything that we can do. And that's true. But where there has been true saving faith, works will follow. And what those works are is an evidence that we have been truly saved. Where there is true faith, a person's life will demonstrate that he really believes or she really believes. So there's a kind of faith that isn't, that, that, that isn't followed by works. That's what James is telling us. There's a kind of faith that isn't followed by works. There's a kind of faith that, that James goes on to describe as a dead faith, an empty faith. Intellectually, there's a certain set of things that a man believes. Verbally, there's a certain set of things that he professes. But then you take a good look at his life and there's no activity in his life based upon what he believes. There's no works there. And where there's been true saving faith, works will follow. Saving faith is never apart from works. It's not by works. It's not, it's not merited by works, but it's never apart from any works that will evidence that faith. But if you have a faith or you claim to have a faith and there's no works that follow it, then you have what James goes on to describe as the faith of the demons. James chapter 2 and verse 19, he says this. He says, you believe God is one. In other words, you believe in the God of the Bible. You believe in the God of the Old Testament. You believe in the God of the New Testament. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder or tremble. In fact, in a sense, the demons seem to have a faith that's somewhat superior to that of natural man. Because at least they know enough about God that they tremble and they shudder at the thought of Him and in His presence. They know enough about the reality of God that they fear Him. They don't love him. They don't follow him. None of us would dare say that the demons are going to be in heaven. But they understand that he is to be feared. That he is to be revered. Natural man walks around on this planet not only not loving God, not only not following God, but natural man walks around on this planet and he doesn't know enough about God to fear God. They have no fear of God. And some of these people with this demon faith, with this demonic faith, you do understand, exist within the visible church. They come to church every Sunday. They come to church regularly. They, they are very, very religious. And in many cases, they, can, they, they intellectually hold to a, a, a very orthodox statement of faith. And verbally, they proclaim a faith in, in all the things that they, they, they believe to be true. But if you look at their life, if you look at how they live outside of this place, they don't follow the Lord. They don't submit to the Lord. They don't love the Lord. And people attend churches every week like that. So this subject is a very important subject because we can say that where there is faith, there is salvation. Where there's not faith, there is no salvation. And we are warned in Scripture that there's more than one kind of faith. So you want to make sure you have the right one. Saving faith or dead faith? Which one do you have? So this is crucial. What is faith? What is the faith that genuine believers possess? Now, what you have in 1 Peter chapter 1 really is a description of that genuine faith. We've already looked at a good portion of this uh, chapter. And we, 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 we've seen our faith described or the faith... Genuine faith, authentic faith, true faith described in so many different ways in these verses. And it's in the context, I want you to notice, of, of eulogizing God, of, of blessing God, blessing His name for all that He's done in our case. Notice that. The, 
Peter writes in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That comes from the word uh, uh, eulogy, the word that we get the word eulogy from. And it, what, what we're doing is we re, we're rejoicing in what God has done for us in His Son. We are, we are uh, in the context uh, uh, giving Him praise as, as, as we get this description of what characterizes true believers or those that have genuine faith. And specifically in verses 8 and 9, you have... I wish I could go back through the verses that I've already preached on and, and highlight some of the things about genuine faith. But we're going to move on and look at verses 8 and 9. And uh, particularly in verses 8 and 9, you have an amazing description of what genuine faith, true faith, looks like. Mainly in verse 8. But the first thing is this. The first thing we learn is this. True faith is not a matter of physical sight. True faith is not a matter of physical sight. I want you to notice that there. Look at verse 8. He says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Authentic faith, genuine faith, true faith is not a matter of physical sight. But it's a matter of spiritual sight. You know, I hope I'm not alone in this. But do you ever wish that your walk with God could be sensed more? Or, I hate to use the word, could be more sensual. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, it could be felt by your physical senses. It could be sensed more like that. I, I mean... What if you could see God? I mean, physically see God. What if you could audibly hear God? Have you ever had the thought come to your mind, God, if you would just let me know what you want, then I would do it. The fact is, I just don't know. And what you're crying out for is for God to open up and speak to you audibly. I think it's Justin Peters who says, if you want to hear God speak, just open your Bible. If you want to get a word from God, open your Bible and read Scripture. But have you ever thought like that? Man, I just wish my, my walk with God I, could, be, could be felt more in, in my physical senses. Well, notice what the Apostle Paul, or what Peter, acknowledges in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jesus Christ in verse 7. And it may be that he's referring back to verse 7. You know, some of these people may have actually seen Jesus when he was upon this earth, but none of them have seen Jesus in his glorious return, in his second coming. That may be what he has in mind. But I, I kind of doubt it. I think what he means is you've just never seen him. You've never seen Jesus. There may be that outside possibility that he's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But I think he's just telling these people, you've never seen him. You don't see him right now. But either way, though we've not seen him in his return, and though we've not physically seen him upon this earth, none of us in this building have ever seen him physically. Guess what? Those of us who are truly saved, we can say this, we love him. We love him. He tells us here that true faith is not a matter of physical sight. We, we've not seen a lot of the things, folks, that we believe. We've not seen Jesus. We've not seen God in His essence. We've not seen heaven. We've not seen the inheritance that Peter speaks of in those previous verses that's stored up for us, being kept for us by God. We, we've not seen any of that stuff. We've not even seen, really, the secret work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And we've not seen the work of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. What we see is the results of it. In John chapter 3, Jesus compared it to the wind. The blowing of the wind. You don't see the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. But you see the effects of the wind. Faith is not a matter of physical sight. And, and I've got news for you. Even where some of these things were seen, it was still not a matter of physical sight. 
Because there were many people who saw Jesus in the flesh. They saw him in body and they did not believe in him. I think back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw Jesus perform miracles. Miraculous things, amazing things, and yet they still would not believe. You had the Savior himself laying his hands on people and, 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 and giving commands to diseases and all those things to come out of people and demons to leave and all of those kinds of things. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, would not believe in Jesus. They saw him in the flesh and still wouldn't believe. That tells us faith is not a matter of sight. In Luke chapter 16, you have that parable. I think it was an actual story about the rich man and Lazarus. What happens? They both die. Lazarus is carried to heaven by the angels, or in the Abraham's bosom as it's described there. And the rich man died and he went to hell. And he didn't go to hell because he was rich. Okay? He didn't go to hell. This is not a, you know, um, one of those uh, equality messages. He didn't, he didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he was lost. And... and it was evidenced by his life, the way he treated that beggar Lazarus who knew the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lazarus goes to heaven, the rich man goes to hell. And what does the rich man ask? He asks that Lazarus be sent back from the grave, back from the dead, in order to speak with his brothers and warn them so that they would not come to that place of torment that he found himself in. And what was the answer? What was God's answer to him? They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the scriptures. And if they won't hear the scriptures, they won't listen even if someone comes back from the dead and speaks to them. Is that an overstatement? Is that an overstatement? Not at all. Remember, just think about what happened when Jesus did one of his greatest miracles and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Which is a picture of what our salvation is. We have to be quickened and made alive by the Spirit. We can't save ourselves. We're, we're dead men, spiritually speaking. But think about what happened when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Some of those who saw that miracle went back and reported to the religious leaders what they saw in order that Jesus might be put to death. And the religious leaders recognized The fact that Jesus raised someone from the dead, and you want to know what their conclusion was? Well, if we, let, if we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. Their conclusion was this, we've got to kill this man. That was their conclusion. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Does it make any sense whatsoever? Absolutely not. But you know what? Unbelief doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to make sense. It's a result of man's sinful, corrupt nature. He doesn't see because he can't see. But the reason that he can't see is because he don't want to see. And if, if, if he came to the light, his sins would be exposed. If he came to Christ, his sins would be exposed. And he loves his sin more than he loves the light. So natural man is only willing to see what he wants to see, and he's not willing to see the truth by his nature in Adam. He doesn't want that. It's not a matter of physical sight, but faith is a matter of spiritual sight. Where there is true faith, it's been imparted by God through the regeneration of the Spirit... And where there's true faith, there is the capacity to perceive and receive and embrace and apprehend what God has revealed in His Word about Himself and His Son. The ability to see with the eyes of faith. Let me give you an example of this. Turn back a little ways to Hebrews chapter 11. What you have in Hebrews chapter 11 is what's known as the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. And what's recorded for us there is the faith of those who have gone before us. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, having not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What did these people not see? He's talking about 
the, the Old Testament saints and, and what they didn't see was the arrival of the Messiah. They didn't see all those things that, were, that would be fulfilled in him, but they saw those things from afar. They saw those things with eyes of faith and they believed them. He says, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. These people were looking for a heavenly city, not an earthly city. They were looking for a heavenly city, a real city. And we are as well. We're not looking for an earthly home. We're not looking for an earthly city. We're looking for a heavenly city. And though we have not yet seen it with our eyes, we have seen it through the eyes of faith. We have perceived it and embraced it and apprehended it through the eyes of faith. We have believed what the Bible has said about our future. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Paul writing to the believers of Corinth says this in verses 16 through 18. He says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What strange language is that? Paul, do I understand you correctly? Uh, you're telling me, I don't want you to look at the things you can see. I want you to look at the things you can't see. What in the world? What are you talking about? Look at the things I can't see? What's he talking about? He's talking about the eyes of faith. He's talking about the ability to believe what God has revealed about himself, what God has said in his word, what God has promised. And where there is genuine faith, you have those kinds of eyes. Where there is authentic faith, though you live in a world that you can see and touch and feel and all of that, you understand that this world is passing away and everything that's in it, and you have set your eyes, you have set your heart on, you've, you've staked your whole life on things that you can't see right now as a believer. This is true faith. It's a supernatural kind of faith. It's inexplainable, but it's real. You know what kind of faith natural man exercises? He exercises, he exercises a learned faith. I've heard it described this way. I come into the sanctuary every Sunday. I sit down in that chair. How do I know that chair is going to hold me up? Well, I've done it so many times. I've learned that that chair is going to hold me up. I drink the water that comes out of my faucet at home. And how do I know that there's not bacteria and germs playing in that faucet and it's dangerous? Well, I go to it every day and I drink the water that comes out of it. I go to the same restaurant all the time. How do I know they're not messing around with my food and doing strange things to it? Well, I have, I've, I've learned that they, they prepare my food well. There's nothing wrong with it. It tastes good. I've learned those things. I've learned that that chair will hold me up. I've learned that my water's safe at home. I've learned that the restaurant's okay. But the faith to believe in Jesus is not a learned faith. It is a supernaturally gifted faith, a supernaturally provided faith. It's a real faith. And let me tell you something. Spend any time around unbelievers, and you will immediately recognize the difference between your life and their life. Because you'll recognize that you see things by faith that they don't see. You will recognize that you love things by faith that they don't love. You, you desire things by faith that they don't desire. And you follow in a way that they don't follow. In fact, they think you to be a little bit strange. Maybe a little mad. Maybe a little out of your mind because of how you live your life and what you believe in. Look, our faith is not a matter of sight. It's a physical sight. It's a matter of spiritual sight. Secondly, true faith is a matter of specific belief. Verse 8 says, Though you have not seen Him, 
you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Where there is authentic faith, true faith, there are specific things that are believed. Specific things. Faith is not just believing in something. Faith believes God. Faith believes what God has revealed in Scripture. It's faith in the God of the Bible. It's faith in His Son, which is revealed to us in Scripture. People say, well, I believe faith is a good thing. I think everybody should have faith. I think we should all have faith. I think we should all believe in God. Well, which God? People say, I th- we should all believe in Jesus. Well, which Jesus? Faith is not generic. Faith is not vague. Faith is not just believing. Faith is believing what God has revealed in His book, in the Bible. That's genuine saving faith. That's genuine saving faith according to His book. Now, if you don't believe in the Bible, if you don't believe this book, then don't believe this book. Okay? But if you claim to believe this book, if you claim to believe the Bible, then understand that that is what genuine faith is. So if you claim to be a Christian, and you claim to believe the Bible, but you don't believe all of it, or hardly any of it, then quit claiming that you believe the Bible. It's believing God. It's believing in the God of the Bible about everything that He's revealed about Himself and His Son. It's it's about believing specifically about what God has revealed about salvation. How did God save sinners? But let me say again, true faith is not an intellectual exercise. I was in that position for many years of my life. This church has heard my testimony. I was saved my senior year of Bible college. I knew all the facts about Jesus. I, I, I could quote scripture. I, could, I, you know, I, I knew all, I had all this knowledge in my head, all this theology. But faith's not an intellectual exercise. True faith has an effect on your emotions. It has an effect on your ambitions. It has an effect on your desires. It has an effect on your emotions. It has an effect on your will. For a person to say that they have faith, but it has no effect on the entirety of their person, that's a contradiction, folks. That's the faith of the demons. If you can intellectually list a set of things you believe, but it has no practical impact on your life, then you don't have saving faith. So true faith is not a matter of physical sight. True faith, true faith is, is faith in things specific, not vague, not generic. True faith is also a personal faith. And I'm trying to fly through this. I'm doing pretty good. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not now see him, you believe in him. Who is the him being spoken of there? Go back to the end of verse 7. It may be found that your salvation, all these things that you said before, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's going to be revealed at the end of it all? It's going to be Jesus Christ. So where there is true faith, it's not faith in God generic. It's faith in the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ. This God we've blessed back in verse 3. And he tells us that this is the God we bless. He puts that there. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts that there so that uh, we will know what God we're blessing. Because there's so many of them out there. We are blessing the God who is the Father of our Lord 
and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only unique Son of the Father, eternally begotten by the Father. He's the eternally begotten Son of God. True faith is faith that in God and faith in His Son so that we, though we've not seen Him, we love Him. And though we do not now see Him, we believe in Him. It's a personal faith. Man, those are pregnant words that Paul uses there. Or Peter, why do you keep saying Paul? We've been in a lot of Paul. Philippians in Sunday school, Galatians not long ago. But these are pregnant words that he uses there. And what, he, what, he, what, he, what they mean is this. You've committed your life to Jesus Christ. That's what they mean. To believe in Jesus is to commit yourself personally to the Jesus who has been revealed in the scriptures. To believe in Jesus is to have entered into a personal relationship with him. That's what it is. That's what faith's all about. It's, it's, a, it's not a sight relationship. It is a faith relationship. But all of us who have entered into that relationship know that it's a real relationship. Any, let me tell you something. Any concept of faith in God that's impersonal is not real faith. And any concept of faith in God that's apart from the knowledge of His Son pays allegiance to another God. It's not saving faith. You cannot have the God of the Bible divorced from His Son, separated from His Son. You have to have the God of the Bible and His Son. True faith, personal faith found in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the Son of God? Let me ask you that this morning. Have you believed in Him? Do you know him? Do you know God because you know his son? People say, I'm trying to get to know God. Why are you going to all these churches? Why are you, make, why are you going to all these Bible studies? Well, I'm just trying to get to know God. No, the only way you get to know God is through his son. Do you know God through his son? What does the Bible tell us about his son? The Bible tells us that the son is the word. The Son is the eternal Word of God. The Son has made the Father known to us. If you want to know who God is, you've got to know His Son. True faith has believed in Him. Though we've not seen Him physically, but we've seen Him through the eyes of faith from the pages of Scripture. Fourthly, true faith is a warm faith. It's a warm faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. I'm not a, a really emotional guy or anything. Not a romantic or anything like that. But what, what the language being used here is, is, is the language of love. Peter is speaking in terms of love. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's the reason why I said this, has got, this is a personal faith. It's a personal commitment of oneself to Christ Jesus. It's not just, I believe a certain set of facts about Jesus. As they've been revealed in Scripture historically. No, it's not that at all. No, you love him. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? Do you know God or do you just know about God? Do you know God or do you know God? This is talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because you have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you love him. Let me ask you this morning, do you love him? Do you love him? Let every person in this room who calls themselves a Christian, let every person who sits in this place every Sunday examine themselves on that basis. Do you love him? Not, would you agree with our doctrinal statement? Not, if you've walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. Not on the basis of you being baptized in the baptismal waters. I'm asking you, do you love the Son of God? Does he have your life? Do you 
actively follow him? Can you really say that your life is guided by your relationship to him, though you do not see him? That's the big question. Maybe we should stop asking people in America if they're Christians or in places like Texas or Florida. Are you a Christian? Everybody in America thinks they're a Christian by virtue of being an American or a Texan or a Floridian. What we need to say is, are you a Christ follower? Do you follow Christ? Does he, does he guide your life because you have that relationship with him? That's true faith, folks. That's true faith. It's a, a warm faith. And church, let me tell you, for even those of us who've been saved, you will know something is out of joint with your walk with God when you lose that sense of warmth. When, you, when what you're calling Christianity becomes cold and mechanical and oh so factual, but not so much devotional, be warned if that's the case with you because you're on the wrong path. You're on the wrong road. Thank God that our faith has the Word of God and I say this respectfully. Get your hearing aid turned up, Ted. <laughs> Thank God that our faith has the Word of God as a secondary object. Now, we know you do not separate Christ from the Word. You do not separate God from the Word. But who is really the object of our faith? The object of our faith is God Himself. The object of our faith is His Son. But He's revealed Himself on the pages of Scripture. So you won't know him apart from the Bible. But beware when you separate your belief in this book from your devotion to him. I have known many people who study the Bible often, who are in the Bible all the time. They know it frontwards and backwards and sideways. They call themselves Bible students. But where is the warmth? Where is the grace? Where is the devotion? Where is the love? Where is the commitment? Where is the character that speaks of the one who authored this book? That's the question. I listen to a lot of Reformed teachers. And I have a lot of Reformed friends. But some of those guys... They know doctrine. They know theology. But they are so cold. And they are so contentious. And they're so mean at times. Where is the warmth? Because of this relationship with Jesus Christ, there is warmth. And it is a, it's a relationship. It's a love relationship between I and Him. Between you and Him. True saving faith is a warm faith. It is not indifferent. It's not cold. It's not intellectual. It's not high-minded. Although I'm not putting down. We need to study our Bibles. And if you can read all the material that you possibly can on doctrine and theology and systematic theology, I would encourage you to do that. Download apps on your phone, Greek and Hebrew apps and all those things. I would encourage you to do that. But if all that does is puff your head up with knowledge... And there's no real love. There's no real warmth in your relationship with Jesus Christ or toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something wrong there. True faith is warm. Lastly, true faith is a present faith. Notice this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy and inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, I want you to notice something. He doesn't say... You have loved him, or you have seen him. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. He, goes, he stresses that in this text. We, we haven't seen him, but we love him. We haven't seen him, but we believe in him. Right now, at this moment, that's what he's stressing there. Let me tell you something. True faith is not just a faith 
that exists in the past. We've all known people who like to talk about the past. Let me tell you something. That is a death knell to a church. We've never done that before. That's not what we've done in the past. But you have Christians who want to just talk about the past. You know what God did back then? Way back then. And sometimes, even when they talk about their own life, they talk about what God did back then. Well, listen. True faith talks about what God is doing right now. At the moment. What's He doing today? What did He do last week? Are you walking with the Lord today? Now, I want to be careful and say this. While it's not just a... About the past or for the past. It's not divorced from the past. The past is important. Why do you think that you have all of those memorials and all of those feasts in the Old Testament, all of those things that spoke of the past? Because God didn't ever want his people to forget what he did for them in the past. There's something wrong with your faith, though, if all you're concerned about is the past. And there's something wrong with your faith if all you're concerned about is the present and you don't care about what God's done in the past. Now what I want to do is I want to take what God has done in my personal past and I want to never be guilty of forgetting about it or forgetting it. And I want to bring it all in with me today so that I praise Him for what He's doing in my life today and for how faithful He's been in my life in the past. So it's not just about the past, but it's not divorced from the past. It doesn't exclude the past. But we can also say that it's not just about the future. True faith is in the present. It's not just about the future. And we all know those kinds of people too, who all they want to talk about as Christians is the future. All they want to think about, all they want to talk about is heaven. Oh, I'm going to heaven. And that's all they look forward to. Well, let me ask you something. What, what will heaven be like? Well, God will be central there. And in heaven, we will be gathered together with His people. And in heaven, there will be a glorying in the Son of God... And in God's truth, and in God's wisdom, and in all that God has done, all the praise and all the glory and all the honor will be to God. That's wonderful to think about, isn't it? Can't wait to get to heaven. So do you live like that now? Do you live like that now? I mean, is God central in your life now? Do you love His truth now? Do you desire His wisdom now? Do you love His people now? Do you want your life right now to be to the praise and the honor and the glory of God? Something is wrong when your faith is only concerned about the future. Something is wrong when you think you're going to enjoy things in heaven... That you don't even enjoy right now. Something's wrong. If you really want to know what your future is. Look at your present. Because the people of God who will be in heaven one day. Have already had heaven come down to their souls. In the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now does that mean we always feel the way that we should feel and think the way that we should think and act the way that we should act? Of course not. We are all in development, aren't we? It's the, the process of sanctification. It's a progressive thing. We still fall into sin. We still stumble. We still, we, we still do things that are displeasing to God, things that we know are displeasing to God at times. We still have to repent and get right with God. The Christian life is one of continual repentance. All of that's true. But nonetheless, heaven is already in our hearts by virtue of the saving work of God in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
True faith is not just for the past. It's not just from, for the future. Yet it's not divorced from the past. And it's not divorced from the future. How do you live godly in the present? You live godly in the present with your eyes looking to the past and what God has done for you. And you look, live godly in the present with your eyes looking to the future, to what God has in store for you. And you bring that all into the present. And when you think about those things, it will cause you to desire to live for the honor and the glory and the praise of God. It, would call, it will cause you to desire to have God known by the way you live your life. And you speak about his son. So you bring all the past with you and you bring all the future with you. And you live in light of all of that today. Today. That's true faith. True saving faith is not a matter of physical sight. True saving faith pertains to some specifics. True saving faith is warm. True saving faith is personal. And true saving faith is for the present. Do you know this faith? Do you have this faith? Has God provided you this faith as a gift through his son and in his son? Has he given you the faith to believe in the Jesus that we've already talked about and that we're going to spend our time talking about? Do you know Jesus Christ today? You can. All you need to do is turn from your sin and turn to him in belief, in faith. And the Bible says that if you come to him like that, he will in no wise cast you out. I pray that he by his spirit is doing that work in your life today, right now, if you don't know him. But if you know him, what should you be doing? You should be eulogizing him. You should be blessing him. You should be giving him all the praise and all the honor and all the glory because he's deserving of it. What a great God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. As the old song says, what an awesome God we serve. Give him praise this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we receive from it each and every time we come to it. Lord, how you speak to us. How you speak to us in so few words. As we just look mainly at one verse today, we'll consider this verse and, and those that follow in more detail on the coming Sunday. But Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would use it in, the, in, in us as believers, Lord, to, to, to continue to do a sanctifying work in us. And Lord, we pray that you will use this word about your son and everything that, that this faith in him has in store for those who have it. Lord, I pray that you will use it by your spirit to draw one to yourself or many to yourself. We don't know who's watching this morning by live stream. We don't know. We can't assume everyone's saved in this room. So, Lord, we pray that you will use your word and the power of your spirit to work in our hearts and lives. We ask this in Jesus' name.